Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in once again, and thank you for joining us for this first episode of the new season of Appalachian Fireside, Season 5. It's hard to believe that um, almost two years now since we started, we're already five seasons in. Um, Not really how I envisioned it going, but I've enjoyed it nonetheless, and I hope that you all have as well. I really appreciate uh, your all's understanding in my taking these last few weeks uh, as a bit of a break. I just uh, graduated from college, uh, finished everything up, got moved back in uh, down here in my home in eastern Kentucky, and I'm uh, about to start it all over again with law school here soon, but that's uh, for another day. Uh, regardless, I'm uh, feeling well-rested, rejuvenated, uh, kind of finding some closure as this chapter ends and a new one is about to begin. Uh, and as I've said before, with starting law school, it might change up how I am able to carry on with the podcast in terms of how frequently I'm able to publish. But again, that's a bridge that we'll cross when we get there. Uh, we've got the time now, so we're going to make the most of it. Uh, and I just really appreciate everybody's encouragement for me as I've continued with the podcast during college and uh, uh, as I will during law school. And uh, you're all's encouragement with me through this journey of finishing school and, st- and, and applying to law school and things of, of, of that nature. So I, I really appreciate each and every one of you for your support, not only for the podcast, but for me as well. Uh, just each and every person out there listening, uh, I truly do appreciate you. So I am really excited for season five to get started. Uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy it uh, quite a bit. Uh, we've got some interviews already recorded, just need a little bit of editing to pu- polish them up before we publish, so uh, that that is uh, forthcoming, and I've uh, reached out via email to a couple of new folks, a couple of familiar folks who might be able to join us here again soon uh, to talk about some important issues uh, in our time, and so I- I'm really excited for those interviews to be coming out. And I'm also starting on another project that I am going to carry on with it for a little bit, maybe get a little bit more headway in it before I I talk to you guys about it in detail. But regardless, I think you're really going to find it interesting at the least, and and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, But regardless, I'm really excited for Season 5 to get started. And for this first episode of Season 5, I am so glad to be... Uh, bringing you all a conversation that I had a few weeks ago with uh, Lydia Welker. Lydia is involved with the Appalachian Prison Book Project, and this is a grassroots project that gets reading material and provides educational opportunities for incarcerated folks uh, in Appalachia. And Lydia and I discuss uh, how their organization is run, how they go about collecting books, how they go about getting these books to the incarcerated folks who request them, uh, how the folks on the inside uh, let them know what kind of books they'd like to read. And uh, we talk about the proliferation of the prison industrial complex in Appalachia and the uh, effects of that on communities and on people themselves and how that plays into the wider story of the region and how we can move forward towards a place where everybody is treated with the decency and the dignity that they deserve inherently as human beings. And I am just really glad that Lydia was able to come on the show and talk about this work that they're doing. She also discusses how if you are interested yourself, you can work with them to uh, get books to them and things like that. Uh, All of that information is on the uh, Appalachian Prison Book Project website, which I will include in the show notes for you. And also, uh, as Lydia mentions towards the end of the show, if you're not in Appalachia, 
don't fret. There is definitely a project or a program similar to this that works in uh, prison book exchanges uh, in your area. There definitely is. So um, uh, just if you're not in Appalachia, there's definitely an organization like this that you can find uh, and and folks that you can work with to accomplish this same end. So I, I'm really glad to be bringing you guys this conversation. It's an important one to have about not only uh, uh, making it easier for these folks who are incarcerated to know that there are folks on the outside who want to help them uh, develop their own uh, capacities as human beings and to have a semblance of joy in the life that they have inside, but also that there are folks on the outside standing in solidarity with them to uh, create a better future for everybody in the region that, that everybody can have a part in uh, uh, as we move forward. So I really hope that you guys enjoy this conversation. And uh, before I forget, please remember to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen, whether it's Apple, Spotify. Uh, let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on how the show is, what I could change to make it better, just your your general thoughts, uh, anything like that. Please don't hesitate to share them. I uh, really am interested in what you guys think. And I think that's everything that I've got for you guys beforehand. So let's get into it. Okay, uh, Lydia, again, thank you so much for your your time and your agreeing to be on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, as I just told you a moment ago, I've been following along with the work that you and your group do. Uh, it's really important, very good work that you guys are doing on behalf of a lot of folks in our in our region. And I would just love for you to tell us about uh, your project and how you guys operate and how uh, others can contribute and, and anything at all about your mission that you'd like to, to talk about, anything you'd like to discuss, uh, go right ahead. And uh, of course, feel free to introduce yourself as well for the listeners. But just to get the get us started right now, I will go ahead and turn the floor over to you. You go right ahead. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. My name is Lydia Welker, and I volunteer as the Digital Communications Coordinator for the Appalachian Prison Book Project. Um, I'm so glad to hear of your enthusiasm for what APVP is doing because I think it's important for everyone in the region and across the country to be aware of these larger issues, right? So what we do at APVP, um, we're a small grassroots volunteer organization. We're based in Morgantown, West Virginia, and we send free books and provide educational opportunities to people incarcerated in Appalachian prisons and jails across the region. So we cover West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, Tennessee, Ohio, and Kentucky. So if anyone is listening and has a loved one incarcerated in one of those states, let us know and we can send them a free book. That's that's wonderful. I, I'm, I'm so enthralled that you guys are out here doing this work because as you said, it's so important, not only in what you do in getting the the material to those folks who are incarcerated that in itself is important but equally important as you mentioned is having a dialogue about the the larger issues at play here um i found uh, I, I don't have it in front of me now but there's a place on the uh, apvp website which lists the number of incarcerated folks in each state that you cover and it, and it's 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 a prodigious amount and at uh, the, even within the context of the U.S., which incarcerates more people than any other country in the world, and the 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 spread of the the folks that you all can reach through this project is it's there's a lot of people who you can you can directly impact. And 
I, I, I'm wondering if you could maybe tell us a little bit more about uh, how you operate logistically, uh, how you take in books, um, how, how, how you receive donated books, how you send those out, whether the folks that you're sending them to can express a preference for what kind of book they would like, um, how you go about sending it to the, the specific uh, location. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about that end of it? So to start off, the good news is that we're not alone in doing this. There is an entire network of prison book programs, just like ours, across the country that sends books to people incarcerated in different states. So um, we are working in solidarity with these groups to, as you say, serve this significant, staggering incarcerated population in the United States. You know, Prison Policy Institute just came out this month with their 2023 updated statistics. And um, still, the U.S. has the highest domesticated incarceration rate in the world. We have 1.9 million people locked up in jails and prisons as we speak right now. And so um, sending them books, making sure they have access to books they want to read, access to education, we're trying to tackle just a little piece of this larger puzzle that is fighting mass incarceration, fighting the prison industrial complex, making sure we're building these bridges between people in prison and jail and then people not in prison and jail. So here's here's kind of how our organization does things on the ground. So when it comes to sending books, we like to send books, not just that we have, but that people want to read. Right. So people in these prisons and jails will send us a letter with their mailing address, their ID number, and what they want to read. Some people will say a certain title they want to read or an author. Some people will be very broad and they'll say, I want to learn about how to start a small business, or I want to learn Spanish, or I want to read a mystery novel, whatever it is, they give us their preference in their letter. And then our volunteers go through these letters and they look at our shelves of donated books that people in Morgantown, people in the region, people across the country send to us. They look through the shelves to try to find the best possible match for that letter. And then we package it up and we send it off to that prison or that jail and get it into the hands of the person who requested it from us. We get a lot of different requests from people. Here's here's a fun question I like to ask. There is one book that is more requested than any other book by prisons and jails across the country. One book. Can you guess what it might be? Oh, man. Um, my my gut instinct is that it's The Count of Monte Cristo. Such a good answer. Not even close. <laughs> what, what What is it then? It's the dictionary. The oh, paperback wow. dictionary. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is the most requested book by a lot. And it shows how little access there is to information in prison when the most requested book is the dictionary. Right. Uh, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> I really hope that uh, at least a few folks listening understand the the joke I was making with the Count of Monte Cristo reference, at least have read, read the book or seen the movie. But in, in, in any case, uh, you're exactly right. In uh, there's there's a lot to unpack there. I, I you know, the importance of education is uh, is is it is at play here in, in your mission? Absolutely. And we have to think of education not only is that it's the right of every person, not only folks who are not incarcerated, but incarcerated folks as well. Everybody has the right to an education. And that is the the only way 
that we can, well, I don't want to say the only way, that is a really powerful way that we can further our own development. And that's especially pertinent for folks who are incarcerated and want to, as you were saying, learn about these different skills that they might want to apply uh, to, to, to help them build a life for themselves when they're, when they're, when they're out or just to find a way to uh, broaden their creativity or, or enhance their creativity through reading fiction and things like that. And it's, it's really, as you, as you put it so well, it's in, it's indicative of the state of things when the most requested book is the dictionary. Do you hear from folks who are incarcerated about specifics on the lack of educational resources that they have and what uh, initiatives do you all undertake at your group to, um, uh, to, to, to ameliorate that, to provide for those kinds of educational opportunities that they would not otherwise have? Essentially every letter tells us something, right? Wow. Even if someone is just saying the kind of book that they want to read, but we are constantly getting letters with people asking how they can join a book club, how they can get their GED, how they can um, further their education. They are telling us about conditions inside the prison. They are, these letters are a trove of information about what life is like on the inside. That's like a phrase we use in this prison justice conversation. So people on the inside, people in prison and jail, people on the outside, people not in prison or jail. Right. And these letters are a really important way we build bridges between these two groups. That's why we want our volunteers to read the letters, you know, handwritten by people on the inside. This starts to make them consider these societal problems, make them more aware of the fact that so many people are locked up in this country and that the tendrils of mass incarceration are very far reaching. Right. And especially so with how uh, uh, that that process of building bridges between people and uh, I, l- I love that you all insist on on volunteers reading these these handwritten letters because so often the way that we are trained to think about the criminal justice system uh, for for uh, for decades now has been to dehumanize every incarcerated person as the as the group that we punish as a way to I'm getting really philosophical, um, but but it's 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 really detrimental because we're we're taught to think about a lot of them as less than human, and regardless of what they did that um, put them there, you know, a lot of people who are in there probably don't even deserve to be there in the first place. Regardless of anything else about them, they are a human being, and that process of seeing them as such and understanding why they ought to be treated with a baseline of dignity and respect is is really important to this whole uh, work that you guys are doing. And uh, that's furthered by helping them to uh, att- attain those those educational materials, because, it, it, you know, like we were saying, education is one of the most important ways that we can help others develop themselves. And not only when they're inside, but when they're outside as well, and trying to build a life for themselves where a lot of the traditional modes of doing that for folks who have been incarcerated are closed and are very, very, very hard to open up again. And so providing the resources while they're still there, as you guys do, is is, is terribly important, not only helping them to have that basis that they can build upon when they leave, but also to reaffirm while they're inside their inherent dignity that they have. And 
I, I, th I think that's that's wonderful work that, that you guys are doing in that respect as well. If someone were to want to donate a book, how, how might they be able to do that, that, that you all would then distribute? So one of the challenges of getting books into prisons and jails is that there are almost insurmountable number of rules and regulations to navigate. You know, every um, every state has its own rules about what books are allowed inside. The federal government has its own rules. And it often comes down to like every warden in charge of a jail or every person in the mailroom. Like they're all making decisions about what books are allowed inside. Gotcha. And so what APBPs does and what organizations like ours do is we're, we familiarize ourselves with these rules and regulations at the different facilities we serve so we can have the highest possible chances of getting our books inside those prisons. Right. Uh, and uh, that that I'd say that must throw a wrench into things for you all as well in how different it is just from facility to facility. There are some like general guidelines though that we follow and organizations like ours follow so that when people donate books, we have a better understanding of whether those books will get inside. So most prisons won't accept hardback books. That's a big one. Right. Um, and there are also a lot of rules about um, the condition of the books. So new and used is good, but they have to be in good condition, which means maybe something different for you and I versus what the prison system would consider good conditions. So sure. you can't have a missing or torn covers. You can't have yellow pages, no tears or rips, and no pencil or pin marks inside. Even just the name scrawled in the corner, right, is going to get a book rejected from a prison. And there are also content restrictions very similar to these larger book bans we're seeing explode across right. counties and libraries and schools. And you know how wild they are and how entrenched they are in anti-Black, anti-gay policies, whatever those might be. Right. Very similar things have been happening in the prison system for decades. The prison system still has the largest book ban in the country. Um, so, the, and it's so, all the rules are so subjective which is why it can be frustrating sometimes. We once had a copy of one of the Lord of the Rings books rejected because there's a map in the front of the book, right? A map of what? <laughs> a map. No of one's middle using Earth. right, a map right. Of Middle Earth. No, no one's to... no one's planning an escape an escape with with a map of of, of the Shire all the way to, to to Mordor, right? Exactly, but the book was rejected because oh, there's a map in it. So. But but at the same time, we run entirely on book donations. So when we ask people to donate books to us, we have a list of genres that we need the most. We kind of give details about the conditions we're asking for. And then um, we also have a couple of wish lists with some indie bookstores in our area to give people an idea of what we need. Or if they want to send us a new book, they can do that, too. Gotcha. There's a lot of moving pieces here. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, th I think that really that really highlights the uh, importance of advocacy on the outside as, as well, not just in providing these books for for folks who are incarcerated, but also in advocating for uh, it, common common sense restrictions on on books that can be allowed for incarcerated folks to read, like that. Kind of, uh, instances like that wherein a person is 
restricted from reading probably one of the best books ever written just because it has a fictional map in it is is just is is insane and you know there there's i'm sure the the problem of those expectations being so subjective and varying from place to place probably throws a wrench in that too but uh you know it's it just goes back to to what we've been talking about and the importance of, of providing access to those resources uh, for for these folks who are um, are at a disadvantage, and I think that also plays into the larger conversation around the proliferation of prisons in in Appalachia. I'm in a sociology class where we're looking at the region, and we just watched a film about um, a federal prison. At, I forget the name of the film. It was a few weeks ago. A, a federal prison in Virginia. I think it was it was made it was made quite a few years ago, and I I think it's called Over the Ridge or or On the Ridge or something of the sort. And when you read into the subject, when you watch films like that, you begin to understand how proliferated uh, the prison industrial complex has become as a way of of a replacement industry for mining or other kinds of jobs that have left. And it's just another facet of this uh, domination of the working class and of the poor in these areas because you have a thing like a federal prison and this just happened in Whitesburg, Kentucky, not long ago of, uh, you know, legislators and and political officials saying, look, here's this thing that can replace these jobs that you lost, even though you end up, they end up just employing 10 or 15 people locally. If that, uh, not, doesn't even make a dent in the real material economic trouble, but they're, they're pitted as a way of saying, look, you, you have this that you can have. And, it's it's a way to provide for your family, and it's perfectly understandable why folks in communities like that would look to that as a, as a way to have a stable form of income and and to get good pay. But at the same time, the very offering of that kind of institution, that kind of the the private prison in a in an area like that, that is a way that the ruling classes, the 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 wealthy and the politically established, the politically elite, suppress the uh, uh, ability of the working class to advocate for themselves in a meaningful way of saying, we deserve better than just having a prison. We deserve better than that. And the people who were going to be housed there deserve better than to be housed there. And so there's a whole nother side of this conversation that deals with the the proliferation of insti- of the prison industrial complex in Appalachia that uh, you and I, I'm sure, could spend hours talking about. But, uh, you know, that is, uh, I'm sure that is that a factor that plays into the work that you guys are doing? Is that another influencing uh, factor for trying to make sure that you advocate for folks who are incarcerated? You have touched on something very important and unique a little bit to the Appalachian region. There's a, re- a reason there are so many prisons and jails and people locked up in the six states we serve in Appalachia. Like you say, prisons were introduced as a solution to so many problems in our society, as a solution to poverty and no jobs and things like this. And, you know, hindsight, looking back, these communities were exploited. The prisons aren't a solution to our society's problems. Prisons are a way to disappear our, our problems and people. Right. That's something Angela Davis said that I'm misquoting horribly. I'm sure she says it much more beautifully than I did, but that framing is clear that pattern is clear. It has clearly emerged throughout the history of Appalachia connecting. You can draw straight lines from the mining and prisons and slavery and all these different societal issues that intersect with prisons, especially in this region. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one 
avenue of communities coming together in solidarity to oppose the the just pro- proliferation of 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 this industry in the region and uh not only in a way to join together to say that w- we deserve better than a prison as being the only solution that's being offered to our problems um and not only are folks able to build solidarity and community with one another on the outside but through work that you and your organization are doing they also build solidarity with the folks who are inside who are similarly oppressed and taken advantage of by this this business model that has become uh in a, one part of that film that i mentioned is that it shows a convention of the different services that a prison could the, the different businesses that were offering themselves to the the, the prison uh, representatives who were at this this big convention of uh, different armaments that they could have for for the guards and different uh, 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 all these different th- how you see how prisons have become a business and like everything else with financialization as we've been seeing it over the past few years in 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 the U.S. Uh, it's just made a bad problem of mass incarceration even worse because now there's no incentive to not send people to prison there's no incentive to not put prisons in distressed communities that you could do much more to serve in in Appalachia than uh, than just having this facility as a way to save the the local economy there there's no incentive to not do that uh for for those who have wealth and power and and, and things such as that and so having conversations like this help to highlight those problems that are um, really deeply affecting Appalachia and the people who live there and deeply affecting the people who are incarcerated, not to mention their, their families on the outside. Uh, um, and so it's, it's, it's a really important conversation having it's important work that you all are doing in advocacy and community grassroots organizing to just help in every way that you can, the folks who are inside and also to just showcase how detrimental the prison industrial complex and the the spread of it throughout the country and throughout the region is for for all of us. Yeah, so building those bridges, kind of pushing on those boundaries is one of the most effective ways I think we can challenge this larger system of mass incarceration. We we've been focusing a little bit on what we do on the book side, but we're also very intentional about how we engage with our community in Morgantown in West Virginia, but also across this region. And um, we're also providing a lot of these educational opportunities to also connect people on the inside and outside. So when we host book clubs in prisons, we're bringing outside volunteers to help facilitate those book clubs. We're building an associate's degree program in a prison. And um, we're bringing in outside college students into the physical prison space to take classes with people on the inside. It's through a program called the Inside Out Prison Exchange. The lives of those students on the inside and the outside are going to be forever transformed by this experience because now they are more aware and understand of the conditions of the prison system and what this means for our society. And so engaging with our community and encouraging people to connect with people on the inside, to think about them, to advocate for them. That is one of the most important facets of what we're doing, I think. Oh, absolutely. And through efforts like that, again, you you build that kind of of, of empathy and sympathy for uh, bet- those bridges, as you were, you were talking about, between those on the inside and those on the outside in a way that helps to build community between oppressed and marginalized people in a way that 
encourages them to to advocate for themselves and to demand better than what they're being given in, in terms of the folks on the outside who may see the only opportunity to achieve economic security as working for a a um, exploitive uh, industry and people on the inside who themselves are victims of that exploitive industry and and that building of of community and solidarity between people regardless of their backgrounds and and superficial differences is woven into the story of Appalachia the history of it the culture of it um and and all of the the great grassroots organizing that has been had in the region you know when you think of when you think of all of these different folks throughout our history who've come together to oppose uh, exploitive industries, whether it's uh, uh, coal miners in in West Virginia or or in uh, uh, all throughout the region, or different kinds of of industries, including the um, the uh, the prison industrial complex, that that solidarity and that community is just woven into into the uh, the the story of it, and it's exemplified perfectly by the work that you and, and your organization are doing. And I, I I was wondering what's been the reaction from folks on the inside to the work that you uh, to to your work and to your your programs of, of education and and advocacy and 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 providing those literary materials. One of the best things about what we're doing is that we're getting these letters from people, and so they are often doing what they can to tell us what they think to give us their feedback. So people will send us book reviews. They will send us notes of thanks. They will send us letter art. That's what we call, um, I guess, art that you put in letters, but it's more than that. It's <laughs> right, in, right, right. in prison, you don't have access to like art supplies, right? And so people will draw on envelopes or just on the back of the paper they write our letter to, they will create beautiful illustrations to kind of show us some of the joy that they can find within the system. You know, it's very encouraging to see but there are some letters that stick into my mind from people. Like I was, we were using this system called CoreLinks, which is an email system in some prisons. And I was managing the account and there was this man incarcerated in Virginia who emailed me every four to six weeks asking for a book for about three years. Nothing conversational, just asking for a book. Here's what he wanted. Here's a reminder of his address. Thank you. Goodbye. And then one day I get an email from him that says, I can't thank you enough for this. I'm about to leave prison and I'm not going to be sending you messages anymore. And um, he shared some of the favorite books he'd received over the past few years and how he would carry them with him throughout his reintegration. And I thought that was very moving. Um, there's another letter that really sticks into my mind and it's from someone incarcerated in West Virginia who said that we sent him a copy of the West Virginia code annotated. So like a West Virginia law book and using that book, he was able to argue his sentence down from life without the possibility of parole to the chance of parole after 15 years, which is still a very long time to be in prison, but what a difference one book made right. in the lives of this person. And we also collect these things when we can. We have so many reviews and thank you notes and just quotes from people from these letters on our website that anyone can view to kind of get a bigger picture of 
the conversations we're having with folks. I'm I'm at a loss for words and how transformative this work that you all are doing is. It 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 really is is encouraging to see a, a group and an organization put together with such you know altruistic and and good motivation behind it in that you you all are not just helping to make things easier for for these folks on the inside but you're you're doing really deep work in re-emphasizing for them and for for the folks they interact with the the common humanity that we share and and the 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 decency the good the good uh standard of living that we that we are all owed just as human beings and and that is so important for communities everywhere but in particular for historically underrepresented and marginalized places like in Appalachia where these these kinds of institutions these these prisons are are taking root and uh, I'm I'm just so glad to see the work that you all are doing to be uh, transformative for people's lives and for the region itself. Um, Lydia, again, I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you for this conversation that we've had. It's been really eye-opening and moving, and uh, it's been a joy to have you today. Uh, I'd like to give you these next few moments to say anything that you'd like to to close us out, maybe mentioning how folks could donate a book or how they could learn more about your mission or other ways that they could get involved with your work, uh, anything like that, please go right ahead. The floor is yours. And thank you again. Thank you again for having me. I could talk to you about these issues for the rest of the night. <laughs> I <laughs> right. could spend hours talking about this, but um, if anyone listening is interested in these issues, the first thing I encourage you to do is listen to incarcerated people themselves when you can. There are right. lots of different portals and outlets through which you can hear directly from formerly incarcerated or currently incarcerated people about the conditions they're living in and what that means. And I also want to remind people that, again, we are part of this larger network of programs like ours. So if you aren't in Appalachia, there is a prison book program that serves your state or might even be based in your state. So contact them and see how you can help. For Appalachian folks who are um, served by APVP, we would um, love to have you volunteer with us if you're in Morgantown or donate to us. We are entirely run on donations. Um, it costs about $3.50 to mail a book through the post office and rates are always rising. So um, monetary donations are very helpful and also book donations. We have a list on our website of exactly the genres we're looking for, as well as the top four books we always need. And if you wanna buy new books for us, if you wanna look for books on your shelves that have been used, that you've loved and are ready to find a new home, contact us and we can help you figure out if they're a good fit for the people we serve. We also have pretty active social media accounts where we regularly are sharing what we call special requests. So if someone is asking for a specific title or like a genre of book that's so unique or challenging to find that we can't figure out a book to fit the request from our donations, we'll post it on social media and see if anyone has a copy they're willing to donate us or see if someone could buy a copy of the book for us from a local bookstore. So if you're interested in playing a little you know, scavenger hunt with the books on your shelves for us, please follow us. That would be great. All right. Well, um, again, Lydia, thank you so much for, for being, for, for your time today, but also thank you for the, the work that you're doing on behalf of 
uh, of a lot of folks in our region who are incarcerated, who are uh, subject to a lot of dis- disadvantages and and um, exploitation. And also thank you for the work that you're doing on behalf of the region as a whole. Uh, you know, this kind of grassroots organizing behind good causes is all is is one of the most important aspects of this region and the, the people who live here who make it great, such as yourself. And uh, again, thank you so much for your work. You're welcome again on the podcast at any time. And thank you again for for your time and and for the work that you're doing and for a great conversation. Thank you so much for your support. It really means a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for listening again this week. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And thank you as well for all that you do to support the podcast, whether you listen, follow on social media, give an encouraging word, whatever you do and however you do it to support the podcast. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to join us again next time for another episode of Appalachian Firesides. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform that you listen on. Give me your thoughts on what you like, what you would change, how I could do better. Just let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your all's thoughts. If you like that background music that you're listening to, that is a piece called In the Sweet By and By by a great artist named Zachariah Hickman. Be sure to check them out on YouTube. And don't forget to follow the podcast on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on all that's going on. I hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of Appalachian Firesides. But until then, be well, love your neighbor, and do good things. Catch you guys next time.